Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome back. It's another episode of The State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jason Carapesi, alongside, as always, Paul Gillieri. Oh, boy. We have a show here, and we are going to talk about the home show webcast that was this past weekend. And we are going to talk about our five favorite, uh, we'll call them quiet songs. They could be acoustic, they could be electric, but as long as they're relatively quiet. We're going to go that direction this week, and then we'll jump into our, our lyric and live card of the week. Uh, but first, like I said, um, we've got some some webcast stuff to do. Actually, you know, uh, before we get there, let's get to some housekeeping. Per usual, you've got the social stuff. You got uh, Instagram, State of Love and Trust underscore Pod on Instagram, S O L A T underscore Pod on Twitter, and. Man, if you would go on to iTunes or Google Play and give us a little review and a rating, that'd be super. Rate, review, subscribe, in that order. Recycle, rinse, repeat. Rinse, yeah. recycle, repeat. I, I can never get those right. Reduce, reuse, reuse recycle. cycle. Yeah, the three R's. We all learned that as six-year-olds at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's made no difference. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> Home show webcast off the rails. Here we go. Home show podcast. So this was uh, Seattle, twenty eighteen, August eighth, and we do have an interesting dichotomy here in that I was actually at that show. You, I, I believe, have have heard the show before, mm-hmm. uh, but now we have a pro shot version of this streamed. Um, so I've got a couple of notes here, and. Few things that I, that came to my mind. Now, like I said, I, I haven't really seen the visuals of this since I was there. So some of the things were like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that." The overarching thing that I found about this show was the direction. It was it was clearly the jumbotron, you know, video board um, sure. thing. It wasn't like something where there was like a proper you know, uh, TV truck and a proper director right. doing this for. It like, wasn't oh, shot to be streamed per se. Exactly. It wasn't like a home video release like we've gotten with the MSG thing or yeah, like other bands have done. Live and Cornus, things like that. Exactly. They just took, they just took what was on the big screens and then just repurposed it. So you've got to keep that in mind when you're thinking about how the shots look. Obviously, you're mm-hmm. shooting it for people who can't see what's on stage. It's a little bit different than how you would shoot it for home. That said... I did not care for it. The direction. Wow. Did not okay. care for the well, I thought it was being, I thought it was way too cute and artsy in a lot of ways. I thought some of the cuts were way too late. I mean, there are parts where they're looking through like the, like the back of stage, like there's like this, you know, metal sculpture thing behind the amps, whatever. And they're shooting through it and it's on stone for like 40 seconds. And the main part of the song has moved on to like Eddie singing or like a, Jeff thing, and we're still watching Stone play. You can hardly even see him. I'm like, clearly it was it was directed live to tape. So that meaning mm-hmm. that it was just like the guy was cutting it on the fly as if it was live. This wasn't like, you know, done nicely after the fact. So I noticed that. Um, on the on the bright side, Mike's Evenflow solo is crazy good, like really good. There's a song that I don't care for too much called Help Help. It didn't suck. It was actually pretty decent. I know you like that song. Well, uh, you know, it's a you riot know, act. We've had these conversations, but it's it's grown on me over the years. Well, I remember being at the show and thinking to myself, "Oh God, help, help! Here we go." But by the, by the end of it, I was like, "Oh, it's, it's, it wasn't a bad." Run. You know what it is? That whole album, especially that whole album, is so subdued in the way that it's it was played and the way Eddie sang it. The whole mood mm-hmm. of it is just very like down here and the way they performed it at the home show was much more up and so it felt bigger it felt a little more impassioned and so 
it, it struck me better, which was great. Um, Mike, Jeff, and Stone all played Flying Vs on a live. That was fun. Haven't seen that before. That's pretty cool. In fact, I didn't know Jeff had a Flying V base, but apparently he did. I didn't know Stone had a Flying V. Uh, and then, of course, I remember hearing this live and then listening to it back, like as soon as we got the, the bootlegs out. And then again this weekend, Mike royally fucks up the Little Wing tag on Ledbetter at the very, very end. It's so yep. sloppy. He like kind of forgets where he's going. So that was a little weird. But I mean, it's a three and a half hour show. It's a long show. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, you know, it's 33 songs, Jason. It's, <laughs> and, and you get, you get a Beatles cover, you get a White Stripes cover, you get a Brandy Carlisle cover with, with her, Brandy, with yeah. Brandy Carlisle there. And so <laughs> it, it was definitely eclectic in that sense. Um, I didn't know this actually, but, uh, I guess, look, we're 10 club members, right? So we got the mm-hmm. quote unquote special pricing. Right, but I guess if you subscribe to Nugs, you can actually watch 400 Pearl Jam concerts that they have on there. I didn't realize they had that. You can watch or listen to. Uh, it says you can watch. That would be over 400 Pearl Jam. Yeah, I know. We're gonna have to dig into this because if our listeners are hearing this and they're saying, "Hey, we heard on uh, State of Love podcast, State of Love and Trust podcast," pardon me, that we can watch over 400 Pearl Jam concerts on Nugs. I'm seeing this on iHeartRadio. Dot com. Wow, I didn't that, would be, that. that would be news because yeah, I had not be heard that. I would have to imagine it's probably the same kind of thing. It's probably the same Jumbotron live direct thing. But still, though, I mean, uh, it would be interesting to see. Because in theory, you could you could literally take every show you do, right? Every every show a band does has the Jumbotron. Sure, I mean, sure. at least a band of Pearl Jam's caliber. Just do a little bit of micro editing on that. And just put it up on Nugs, and suddenly you you've got 400 shows in what two or three years max. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is legit. Anyway, back to the point at hand. 33 songs, home show. It was quite quite an undertaking. I mean, Pearl Jam they're known for their epically long set lists, which I think is what makes Especially the concert recently. going. Yeah, exactly. But it well. That's I feel like true. They've been more. But I, I want to say like State College and some of that stuff. Like uh, that was like those 03, right? I mean, those were long too. So it's it's not they're not out of their element doing this, nor have they been for quite some time. But I will say that when they go home, there's a certain you know, you, you look at you know, drop in the park back in ninety was it ninety one ninety two and there's something and that was the end of that tour. They come back right. and they're just electric, right? So there's something about playing in Seattle that just triggers you know it, it just energizes the guys and so i thought in that respect it was that there was a lot of enjoyable uh moments that came out of it well it uh, was the first seattle show in 11 years exactly hard right? to believe so they come out i mean you got obviously classics like yellow lead better and you know you get better man and black and even flow and whatnot but you know they threw all those yesterdays in there, probably for you. And <laughs> they had low light, you know, there was a, a bit of a, a yield uh, a tint to this. Uh, uh, I, I thought it was pretty cool that they played Let Me Sleep, you know, it's a yeah. nice, nice little nod to the Seattle faithful. So all told, I thought the set list was actually uh, unique. Yeah. Overall, I did, you know, like I said, it was, my wife and I went, it was her first show. And she was meeting people beforehand and, you know, a couple from Australia and some guys from the East coast. And mm. it was a celebration and she felt that. And she was, she was so happy to have gone because she felt that good vibe energy to someone who's been to multiple shows over the years, as we have, as many people, as many of you listening have been to, um, it just felt like more of a, of a celebration because it wasn't in support of an album. They weren't pushing lightning bolt anymore. It was just kind of like, Hey, we're doing these shows. We're doing two in Chicago, two in Boston, one in Missoula, two in Seattle. And there you go. And so it kind of felt like a, I don't want to say greatest hits, but they were pulling from all kind of all over the place. They were more than they maybe would. And so for that, that's, that's, that's fun for, I think the more, the more casual fan, because they're getting more. Sure. Or somebody who's never seen him live before. Exactly. So in that regard, I was really stoked for my wife and people like her who were coming and maybe brought their kid for the first time. Well, let me ask you a question, Jason. If yeah. you had been there 
let's say you and I went to that show, mm-hmm. would you have enjoyed it as much? Or do you think part of what made the experience enjoyable to you was seeing your wife's reaction at experiencing Pearl Jam for the first time? It's almost um, like when, when, when you, when you, you've seen a movie a dozen times mm-hmm. and then you get to, and you love it and you get to show a friend the movie and you're sitting there and half the time you're looking at your friend's reaction because you already know the film, you know? And then if your buddy or, or your girlfriend or whoever you're seeing is really into the show, then you're like, Oh, awesome. Cool. you like, you dig what I dig. You know what I mean? It was, it was definitely the latter. Yeah. So I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to enjoy the hell out of any Pearl Jam show. And I would have had a great time regardless. Um, but it was bumped a little bit because I saw her really enjoying herself and singing along to the songs that I didn't know she knew the words to. That's (laughs) fascinating. You know, it's like, how is there a mixtape story in here somewhere? Jason? No, she, she knows black. She knows better man, but like, do you know Tremor Christ? Really? (laughs) The lips are moving, but yeah. you seem to be speaking hmm. a different language. <laughs> are you singing it in Portuguese? What's going on? <laughs> but it was just, it was so much fun to go to like the diner afterwards. Oh, and, sure. and you know, anybody that was in there was obviously had gone to the show cause it's, you know, 1230 at night. Well, it becomes a communal experience. Exactly. And, 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 you know, it's, it is like a religious communal type of thing when you go to one of these shows and for Absolutely. this type of show where it was more celebratory and, and not focused in on, pushing a record it felt more um the doors wide open for more people to come in right, kind of thing right. um as opposed to you know if we saw them in 09 at the gibson amphitheater here it's pushing back backspacer you know that that was a tight 220 and they were just kind of like ripping through the set and you know there were surprises here and there but it had more of a focus yeah I, admittedly i you know i'm going through my own concert catalog here i don't think i've seen them play a show that was not in support of an album. I'd have to go back and think about this, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm running through the shows in my head and I, I believe every single one of them was in support of one album or another. I and there's something, different... it, there's the anticipation of hearing the new music played live. You know what I mean? And, That's and true. I, yeah, yeah. Absent that, that doesn't mean I wouldn't still enjoy a Pearl Jam show. I mean, I, I adore them and their music, so it, it, it would well, still be great. It, it also but. depends on the context of what the show is. So like these, obviously, we knew we were getting some sort of like coming back home, going to be a big party. When I saw them in, in, in Boston in 2016, it was similar, but it was closer to Lightning Bolt to where they were still kind of pushing it because it was only three years right. from that. I did see them on the Vote for Change tour in 2004 in Pennsylvania. Okay. There was a context of we're pushing, you know, they're the pushing something, an agenda. Exactly. A measure, so there was a vibe. Know. And it was yeah. cool because that vibe was like, fuck yeah, we got to get out and vote and do our thing and try and. Sure. So th- there, was, there was an angle. And the angle here was just, let's have a good time. So it was right. much more laid back. And I'd be curious, you know, if they thought about, well, what else is in the catalog there, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, that makes me, uh, let me ask you this question. Do you think, and this is something we should actually pivot to. This is that this makes for a, a very good segue. Do you think the band, if there really are 400 concerts, up there on, do, do you think we should see more of these moving forward? Should, should they make, especially while we're undergoing this, this beautiful social experiment that we're currently all involved in. Do you think the band should explore the possibility of saying, Hey, you know what? Next, like once a month, just put up a new show. That was the home show. Let's let's grab uh, something else and and throw that up there as well. Or do you think it starts to dilute the experience, or it becomes over commercialized or capitalizing on something? I mean, they are charging for this after all, but I don't know. I mean, there's a couple gives folks couple, something to look forward to. A couple different ways to look at it. For one, I think about some bands that have done similar things. Uh, I know Dave Matthews Band did something similar to this recently. They also did one of those drive-in shows um, where you actually went to a drive-thru and they had filmed them playing a show and just put it on the big screen. Um, similarly, uh, Metallica did that um, just last last weekend, two weekends ago. They also did a run of 23 Mondays in a row where they just put up an old concert from the last 35 years for free and asked for donations for their, their foundation that they have. So mm-hmm. they did it for free for 23 weeks in a row. 
which is outstanding, by the way. I mean, hat, hat tip to, to those gents for that. So there is a precedent for this kind of thing. Would I pay money to, to watch these? I think if I was – the Nugs thing is interesting because if that's true, then I guess you don't need this. But if there's an option to own the thing, then it's another story. Because if it's like, yeah. well, kind of like the bootlegs thing, it, we, we have, you know – 50 some odd pro shot things that are not, aren't just Jumbotron that you can purchase in some kind of thing. Or, or if it is webcasts and you can pay $3 a webcast, or I don't know how you do it. As a super fan, I'd be into it. Um, it just, it needs to be shows that are diverse enough to yeah. draw in, I guess, people beyond our scope of fandom. I think for me, I'm less inclined to want to see something like that happen. And I'm more inclined to say, hey, guys, uh, you know, like, look, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know anybody that hasn't seen somebody. And what I mean by that is, yes, we're all trying to be smart. We're all trying to, uh, you know, do what we can to mitigate the spread and keep everybody safe, but we're also human. And I'm sure that everybody listening, or I shouldn't say everybody, I would imagine that the majority of people listening have left the house and have met up with somebody that they trust somebody, you know, whether it's say, Hey, you know, these three or four families or these three or four folks, let's just agree to be smart and let's hang and, and let's not, you know, push boundaries to the point where we can't trust each other. I, I would be shocked if the guys have not actually met up. I mean, maybe they haven't, I don't know their attitudes on this whole thing, but I would be shocked if they, they haven't, at, you know, if, if one or two band members have not at least said, Hey, let's grab a cup of coffee. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they're basically family. And so I, I would be, I'm not saying that they have, but where I'm going with this is, is this, I, I would like to think that once a month, they could get together either together or do something similar to what they did with dance of the clairvoyance and say, let's just record something. Let's just take a song and play it in a new way. I mean, you and I brought this up. Actually, this is a, a, a bit of a precursor to something that's going to show up on a later episode, but you and I had a conversation recently talking with some special guests again, down the road, folks will know. And we, we, we brought up that whole, um, uh, Fallon live show with Adele, right? Mm-hmm. Where Adele comes on with the roots and then they, they play her song. Hello. And, the, and they're all playing these, these little kids, children's instruments, right? They're the little instruments from a preschool. I mean, why couldn't Pearl Jam just think outside of the box and say, Hey, you know, what? let's play wash and let's just do it. Like we've never done it before. Or let's do a show where we just play like the mama son trilogy. Just, just, just those songs. That's it. What fan would not be like, dude, like they're, they're dropping mama son on Tuesday at 9 PM. I mean, and just, it's going to cost you, you don't have to charge for this, but if they wanted to charge, I mean, whatever, charge what you want to charge. But just in the meantime, it keep the guys fresh. It would give us something interesting to watch. It, it would feel fresh, even if it's recycled content, just exploring new ways to, 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 to connect to their audience. Just a thought. I definitely think there's room to do something. And obviously there have been bands that have gotten together. Uh, like I said, Metallica have done it. They, they, they don't live in, in the same city and they've, they've flown to their headquarters in San Francisco and gotten together, rehearsed. They, they were on Howard Stern. They filmed right. this concert that was at the drive-in. Apparently, Dave Matthews Band did the same thing. So they could do this. I mean, not to harp on Metallica, but they also did a reimagining of their song Blackened via Zoom where James repurposed all the parts of Blackened. This is what I mean. I'd love to see this off to Lars. You know, so like, this is awesome. These things could be done. I am curious to know like what's happening with them because they're very creative people. And you would think that um, they're probably writing something. If it's not for Pearl Jam, it's for something. But like, you know, I mean, their 30th anniversary is is a month away. You know, be a treat. you know, it would be a treat for the 30th anniversary. Just give us an hour. I don't even give a shit what it is. Give us an hour of you guys in the studio. Maybe they actually come up with some semblance of a song just to see them creatively at work. 
to be a fly on the wall. That would be so weird. No, okay, you say that, but I'd rather be that fly like cool, than, like, than listen to you know producers and sound engineers in and read in magazines, interviews or online interviews of what that was like to watch the guys go through their germinating process and coming up with what. It would be really interesting and fascinating to just watch them in their creative process. Just, I mean, look, we see glimpses of this in concert where they do these little interludes and they go on these, you know, untitled jams and they'd suddenly become songs. Right. And a lot of these things make, make their way onto boots. You could literally make a whole compilation of all these random, just, you know, diddlies, if you want to call Improvs, them. Improvs, whatever. Yeah. Improvs. Right. So just, just improv, you know, just get together and improv for, you know, 15 minutes. And, uh, if you're a fan, even if you're not a fan, it's like Pearl Jam is going to improv. What what musician would not want to see these guys improv and just see them at work? To me, there's just so many ways to see the guys play. And I feel like there's been a lot of energy on their part directed at being present for activism and political uh, reasons, which I applaud the band for. And, and I love the fact that they stand up for their beliefs and they use their platform for, for a greater purpose. But at the same time, you guys are musicians. And I know that musically there's a certain level of fulfillment that comes with that. And people would love to see you. People would love to see you at work, you know, and, and there's a lot of ways to connect with people, even though we can't come see you play live right now. And so it's just something to chew on. All right. So our main bit here is going to be on our five favorite quiet songs obviously there's a there's some subjectivity here uh what constitutes a quiet song but we've i think we've done our best to kind of put together a pool of songs and to pull from those this is the entire catalog so everything's in play including the uh the rarities and the oddities and the b-sides so um paul lead us off with just a quick mention of your honorable mention my honorable mention hmm. i think i'm gonna go with fatal Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, man. Um, you know, th- this is a song. I'll never forget. We we went to the sports arena and we were up close. I mean, we must have been a stone's throw away from the stage. And there was a person behind the stage that was holding up a sign that just read fatal. And I remember thinking, that's right. Wow. That's right. You remember that? I remember thinking of all the songs to love so much, to want to hear so badly. That one just fascinated me. So I remember after the show for like a week after that whenever i had some free time and i was just you know listening to the band's music i would just kind of explore that song a bit more and i was curious like what was it because to me the song was i don't want to say nondescript but it wasn't necessarily noteworthy in a way that i needed to hear it in concert i could get it if it was a song that you'd never heard in concert it was the only one that you'd never heard you know a little shout out to our uh, pearl jam app friend right but uh, for me, that particular song, as a as a song that I really explored on on Lost Dogs, it wasn't necessarily a song that I necessarily ever needed to hear. But the more and more that I listen to it now, the more and more I feel like it's it's a beautiful, just quiet little gem. And this idea that the answers can be fatal. We're so obsessed with the answers to all of our questions that we never actually think about what's what's going to happen when we get those answers. And so I, I've always been fascinated by that exploration of, okay, be careful what you wish for, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for me, that's an honorable mention. That's a great choice. Uh, my honorable mention is going to be Just Breathe. And it's nice. one of the sweetest songs that the band has ever done. And we've spoken about uh, happy or positive vibes and how maybe – you didn't quite care for how they illustrated in the fixer. Um, I think they do a fine job of it here. And it's a song about being thankful for, you know, not only having people in your life who love you, but love you back. And most especially that special someone who you share your life with your spouse, mm-hmm. your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. You know, I once heard this song as people were filing in uh, and finding their seats for a wedding. You know, people were coming, were coming through and, find the seats and it was one of those songs that played and i recognized it because I'm, I'm a nerd and it just it has like the perfect um it makes perfect sense with the last lines of the song nothing you would take everything you gave hold me till i die meet you on the other side mm-hmm. it's like till death do us part that's basically what that says 
So it's, it's use of the keyboard in the beginning and the egg shaker and the strings it is so unique to Pearl Jam's catalog, I think. And it really gives the song a nice whimsical feeling. And then you add in Jeff's little, Jeff's little bouncing bass line and the little sparkly fills by Mike and, uh, and Je- uh, Stone. And it's just really, really pretty song. So I, I like that song a lot and, and think it works well as one of their positive vibey songs. What do you think as far as uh, your, your number five song? Yeah, this this one's tough, man, because, you know, and we had this debate actually before recording where we said, okay, what constitutes a quiet acoustic, right? I mean, it, it, does a song like Release count, right? Does a song like Wash count? Um, I was really torn over tracks like Pendulum and Wishlist, which for me were really right on the border. I decided to stray away, actually, from, from tracks like that, which I, I love both songs, actually. But for me, the fifth one is Off He Goes. Uh, and I'm kind of sticking with that just really, I don't want to call it unplugged, but re- uh, just really uh, down tempo, you know, just just really detached right. in the way that they present the music. Um, not that it's not impassioned. I know that sounds like an oxymoron. How can it be detached and impassioned at the same time? But what I mean by that is you take a song like Off He Goes, lyrically, it's impassioned on many levels. I mean, it's really a song as Eddie once put it i'm paraphrasing here but he said it's about being a shitty friend and we've all had that experience of being a friend that that we we wish we weren't where you look back and you say man i'm sorry i wasn't there for you or you know i'm sorry that i i didn't handle that in the best of ways or i know i've been a ghost recently i i know i've said that a lot more to good friends since i've had kids um, but it's a song that I think when I was younger, before I had a family, I had a trouble relating to because I thought, I mean, but how hard is it to be a good friend? And, and only because I, I try not to be a selfish person, but I think that as I grew older and, you know, we become victims of our own pursuits and we have families, it, you just start to realize that there's only so much bandwidth that you have in life. Right, and I think that that song really captures the um, the regret and the uh, the tragedy of of that reality in a way that's very poignant and beautiful, but non judgmental at the same time. And I think I really respect the track for that. And, and the older I get, the more and more I appreciate it. Uh, Ed, before they started that song in Catalyst, Poland, said, "Here's a song about being friends with an asshole," and pointed to himself. <laughs> Well, there you go. So there I mean, you it's, go. it's, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I know what that feels like Yeah, on no, both I, ends. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. All right. My, my number five is, uh, of the girl. Great song. And I, I considered that, but I didn't know if it was quiet enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is definitely quiet. It's beautiful. And I love that track. One of those songs that has to be a show opener kind of thing. Like where uh, else do you put yeah. this song? I don't know. The way this, that Stone's guitar seems to stumble into the room. And then only falls in line once Jeff's bass shows up. And then you have Matt making sure everyone else is playing by the same rules and just right down the pipe with it with his drums. I love how Mike's guitar sounds like it's kind of like across the street and then slowly joins the party, albeit a little late with his bluesy licks. Mm-hmm. The chorus almost feels like it's only there to allow the subject a reprieve from his constant stressing about the one that got away because the rest of the music is the same mood. It's the same droning feeling like you're stuck on a track you can't get off. And, and Matt and Jeff won't allow it. You are stuck on this track. And as the outro takes over, Mike's guitar is the manic behavior of the subject growing more and more upset and uncomfortable that he let her go. And it's such a cool way to illustrate this feeling. And it's a very, it's very much a modern stone classic, I think. I, I know I say modern, but it's a 20-year-old song at this point. So it's kind of like a mid- mid-range song but it feels more modern than maybe a, a classic 10 or versus era stone song but it's just a, a really lovely track no it's it's arguably my favorite on binaural it was my favorite when i first heard of the album uh i will tell you that song it, it, it really does break the mold it plays with conventional formula and it says hey you know what let's write a song about a feeling you know and and it, it we don't need to tell a full narrative because sometimes stories don't don't complete themselves and sometimes we just are stuck in this repeating, you know, we talked about this, right? Rinse, repeat. And uh, and that song really does a magnificent job of encapsulating both mood and tone 
in a way that that's it's very magnetic. It's a song that uh, it's it's just got an infectious groove to it too. I will say, you know, you you mentioned uh, Mike playing, you know, playing by all the rules here. Uh, I was operating with different parameters for for my five. I know you wanted us to be both on the on, on a level playing field, but I really was a lot more restrictive with the ones that I chose Okay. Be- because I don't think I could have operated in the space that you did because I would have had songs like Wishlist and Pendulum and Of The Girl. And there were just too many to have to narrow it down to five. It was so frustrating. So I yeah. just kind of, I removed a certain, <laughs> I know because that's what you did, but I, re- I removed a certain element from the equation and it made the five a lot easier to go with for me. But uh, in no way does that disqualify yeah, that, that was the uh, trick. Your choice is, for this conversation. I literally went through all the albums and and wrote down, okay, what's kind of a softer track? And then I just I just didn't even think about it. Boom, boom, boom. Just rattled yeah, them off. Yeah, if you take the greatest hits album, right? And it's like the <laughs> up like and the disc. down. It's like, yeah. you know, would, would this be on the down disc? Yeah, well, then it counts. It's like, Jesus, man. Right. I ended up with like 25 songs. I'm like, I can't. I, dude, I literally did. I had like probably 20 on here through the entire catalog, including, including all the B-sides. It's a testament to how great of a band they are. They are, and, and it's it's. I had a number of songs that were I was I was like, well, it's quiet, but then there's a part where they where it gets pretty, pretty loud. Yeah, where does this lie? And so I've left basically all those off after having a, a chat with you. I hear you. Um, what would be your number four? Around the bend. Um, Love it. We've talked about this song ad nauseum, so I, you know I'm not going to go over it too much, but I can't talk about top five quiet Pearl Jam songs or acoustic Pearl Jam songs, whatever, down tempo. I don't know how do you want to classify these without mentioning this one. To me, this song is a pivotal song in the band's history, notably because I feel like No Code as an album was very much about not being confined to uh, presupposed, you know, ethical codes that, that are not necessarily ones that are organic, that come from us, but ones that are essentially imposed upon us by society at large or you know governmental factions however you want to look at it um conventions i suppose i feel like this song was the band growing up and nobody if if you go back to your first listen of pearl gem for me it was it was uh 10 and verses that was the era that i discovered the band i never in my wildest dreams thought within the band's first you know, four albums that I would hear them play a, a lullaby to to a child. Right. Yeah. It, you just don't force. And when it happened to me, it just it marked a signature turning point in the band. Um, that at the time I rejected because I was considerably younger at the time than the guys were, and I I just I couldn't relate to it and I wasn't ready for that. And so I was like, what what is this? You know. Um, but now I look back and it's it's such a beautiful moment. It's one of my favorite songs on No Code, and it's a. Uh, it definitely cracks my top five under this context. Well, I'm going to stick with no code and go with off he goes. Mm. Uh, you just mentioned it, so I'll just keep my my comments pretty brief because you, lyrically speaking, you've hit the nail. I'd the love head. to hear your thoughts on the um, music, though. Yeah, well, so you know, we've spoken about campfire songs mm-hmm. before. Uh, we've spoken about sometimes and how that has that vibe uh, in its pacing, but this song really feels like an all-encompassing example of what that would be. A campfire song jack's drumming throughout is a standout here for, for me and right out of the gate you know the first of many beautiful lyrics that uh, this you know this simile um of the man what he looks like uh with the on the motorbike with the wind stretching his face mm-hmm. you know it's fantastic and right out of the gate so you you know where as gonna go here uh, painting this picture and the way he sings the word perfectly adding the extra syllable perfect ali yeah. It's always just the quirkiest little It drives me nuts, thing. actually. I gotta be honest with you. I like it. <laughs> he does it's that a, a lot, actually. More often than I, than I would like him to. Well, he, he does it with Relieve It. Yeah, that, God, way. that kills me. You know? <laughs> when the first time I heard that, uh, I, I'm like, what is he doing? It's like that scene in uh, What Women Want with Mel Gibson, where he's, he's watching the Sean Connery film, and he's like... Adversary. Don't you mean adversary, old boy? You know, it's adversary. Yes, yeah. like, <laughs> adversary. Um, there's also a, there's a way Stone and Mike kind of change their playing after the "There He Goes" part that mm-hmm. seems to accelerate the mood without changing the tempo. If that makes sense, it's like they're playing the notes that were merely implied before. 
and it comes back a couple of times again, including the outro, which at this point I'm realizing is the man leaving, going, possibly walking. You know, this is the soundtrack to his exit, and it has one of the most satisfying endings musically to a Pearl Jam song to my ear. So the way that they kind of pick up the pit, it's almost like they're playing double time, but it's, I don't think it is. It's just the way that they decide to, to pick the, the chords going forward from the more laid back uh, bed for Ed in the, in the verses. It's just a very, very cool song. So number four for me, what do you got for number three? Uh, the end actually, uh, you know, you talked about just breathe, which I love, by the way, that that lyrics from that song actually made it into uh, my wife's wedding vows. Ooh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think she walked out to that song, if memory serves correct. Um, no, I was this, not with my with my honorable mentioned. Uh, no, you were not, Jason. I will say though that the end to me as a song is is Eddie at his best. I've yet to hear Eddie just pure Eddie Eddie and a guitar do something better than this. Uh, both lyrically and musically. It really does resonate in ways that just stay with you. Um, and this lyric here, no one hears before I disappear, whisper in my ear, give me something to echo in my unknown future's ear. It might be the greatest lyric he's ever written. And Ooh, I, wow. I think he's a, a tremendous lyricist, but there's something that just, it, it's heartbreaking and so satisfyingly poetic at the same time. And uh, the way the song ends, obviously, the end comes near, I'm here, but not much longer. And it's this hushed ending. It's It, it just captures that there's a cinema to it that I don't think you get with all of their music. Um, beautiful track, man. It really, really is. That's a great choice. Um, I'm going to tell you that it's, it's not number three for me. <laughs> uh, number three for me is Footsteps. Nice. Nice. Uh, you took a Temple of the Dog song, Remade. I like it. Yeah, well, you know, it started. It was sent it to Eddie was. first before Chris got his his voice on it. Um, oh, man, it's what a guitar tremendous. tone! That is, it's so it's like a wooden, rustic yeah. sounding dun, acoustic guitar. Dun, dun. It's great. Down exactly. It's a, that main riff is oh man. You immediately feel like you're in the prison cell, and then the harmonica comes in. This is the Lost Dogs version. The harmonica comes in, and before you even get to the lyrics. This scene is perfectly set within between that one guitar riff and the harmonica. And you can see the empty prison hallway and the sun peeking through the bars in the one window. And Ed hasn't said a word yet. And right at the outset, the subject has conceded everything. Everything. They're honest about what's happened and they want you, the reason, to know that you're the reason. There's no mistaking it. Don't even think about reaching me. I won't be home. Don't even think about stopping by. Don't think of me at mm-hmm. all. Like, just get the fuck out of my life. You've ruined my life. And I don't, I don't care if, who, who knows. In the middle part of the song, the second pre-chorus and the chorus are just so eerie. The lyrics really paint this picture, you know, footsteps in the hall, pictures on my chest. Like, ugh, I'm getting shivers just thinking about that. You can, you can see this. One of those songs you can see in your mind. That's when Eddie's really at his best is when, when he can write a lyric where you can mm-hmm. see it and when you talk about you know the mama right. son trilogy this is such a sad ending to the story and looking back at alive and once it all makes sense you almost you almost feel bad for the subject despite them being yeah. a murderer well now, i mean that the think about it, i mean to become that what must happen to the humanity within you i mean there, there is a tragedy exactly in that. what what he was made into being well, we have sadness. kids like we see when you bring a child into the world they don't become that way on their own you know what i mean it's that's that's the nurture part yeah. and unfortunately in this story's case the nurturing ended in a very poor way but that story was conveyed beautifully and musically speaking uh, you know i don't think this song actually has a proper studio recording because the version on lost dogs and the version on the single are both uh, the live recording from Rockline. Yeah. That's so true. if memories, I don't believe there actually is a proper studio recording of this. So all we have is one guitar, a harmonica on the Lost Dogs version, Eddie. And it's fucking great. Anyways, number two for you. What do you got? Indifference. And it's actually a precursor to what will be our live lyric of the week. But, ah. uh, and, and that does not mean the song is indifference, obviously. 
but uh, I think thematically it's a nice precursor. I say that because when this album came out, Versus, and I first heard this song, this song just made me go, ah, I mean, wow. It, it just really, really just booms, but not in a rock and roll kind of way. It booms in a just split you and just rip your, your rib cage out kind of way. I mean, there's something about, and as you, it, you know, it, I think as a youth, I was able to identify with this more because I think, you know, we talked about the id and the ego and how when, when you're younger, the ego really prevails. And so you right. want, 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 and you, you can't satiate that. And so you just rage at the world, even whether you have something to rage at or not. But there was something in this, this feeling of, of, you know, what you would do for someone or something, you know, uh, just to hold the candle till your arm burns to, to take punches until somebody's will grows tired. I mean, to not change your mind and, and then to be met with indifference and just how soul crushing that is. And that comes out lyrically. And what I love about the song is when played live, the way that it, it because it's so quiet, these lyrical moments become a um, shared communal experience because when, when we all sing these lyrics with Eddie and it's not like better man where he lets us take a whole verse you know what I mean this is something where at least when I've heard the song it's sung with him and everybody there knows these words and when you're all singing it together it's like let's all just just bellow out you know what I mean um, it's like a scream room you know like you, you just you go somewhere <laughs> and there's like 15 people yeah. standing around with a candle and you just scream at the top of your lungs there's just something about this song that feels like that to me and so I don't know it's it's very therapeutic in a lot of ways uh, but I think it's a uh, it, it was the most un-Pearl Jam like song that I had ever heard at the time it was the last thing I expected to end that album when I first heard it uh, and, and it's it's one of the things that I think resonates the most from that album when I look back on now well indifference is not my number two nothing man is and it's such a unique showing pattern and it's such a unique song um, I, I know you love this song and I I feel like it's probably gonna be your number one um, you know, this this song and and I should say stones strumming that, that is Jeff's version Jeff wrote the music he the strumming is his style but obviously stone plays it live and, and it it works perfectly with the open hi-hat that dave has in, in the pre-chorus it feels like you're swinging like you're swinging over this chasm of nothing don't jump off the swing you got to stay on it and stone uses um a vibrato bar on his guitar to make the chords kind of oscillate uh, around the appropriate chord and pitch that he's playing Another right. perfect example or metaphor for the precarious position we feel while listening to this strumming pattern in Dave's hi-hat. It, it, you think about you know the, the lyrical um, theme of this song. I don't think we've ever touched on the music and how it, it makes you feel the mood that the lyrics and the words represent. Uh, Eddie singing the second verse an octave up is also something that's interesting about this, which I don't know that he does very often. Uh, it seems to elevate the intensity and the urgency of the story and the message he's telling. It's kind of like the the final warning, as it were, the he who forgets will be destined to remember. It's like, this is it. It's the last time mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, Beautiful song. We've spoken about it before. Uh, we'll continue to talk about it because it's a great song. And it may be the quickest song ever conceived and finished, apparently in about an hour, I think, yeah. according to Jeff and uh, Eddie. So to pull that kind of beauty out of their hat in 60 minutes or so, is that's incredible, man. Agreed. Is that where you're going next? Uh, that's exactly where I'm going next. <laughs> the, <laughs> I, <laughs> it, it, it's it's my it's my number one, and there's no you said it. There's no surprise there. It's it not for black. It might be my favorite Pearl Jam song. Um, this song is is uh, it's just arrestingly beautiful. From the opening line, "Once divided, nothing left to subtract." Um, to to that 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 beautifully epic line that just encapsulates regret so perfectly caught a bolt of lightning cursed the day 
he let it go because that's really what true love is and i feel mm-hmm. like we you know we 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 like to think everybody finds it but it really is a bolt of lightning and sometimes you catch it and sometimes it literally slips right through your fingers and you never know that you had it and sometimes you know very well that you had it and you're left with the regret that you, you didn't have the courage to seize it um is there a also lot- not regret though sometimes we might think that we had lightning but that's okay because I'd rather I'd rather think that I had because you it don't know where it would have gone and, and have 15 burn marks on my hand than live my life having none and saying absolutely I'm just playing devil's advocate yeah here. no no, no it, it, as you should you know I, I look at this song and I think how it was paired beautifully on the same album with with Better Man. And people joke about adding Leatherman, right? And you get your little trilogy there. But to me, I think it's not in the it's not the suffix of the titles of these songs. You know, nothing man, better man. I mean, you could make the argument that the man in Better Man is the man and nothing man, except nothing man essentially is the song told from his point of view when when he realizes that he's lost her, and and it's that, that yeah. you know. It, it's it they're so beautifully paired together um and you know you you, you spoke very eloquently about the music so i, I don't want to even even comment on that plus we've talked about this song like 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 uh around the bend ad nauseum but it's it's a fantastic number and uh for anybody listening who hasn't heard the song in a while just go put it on and if you don't lose yourself in this then then i don't know what what it's going to take <laughs> <laughs> Well, you already mentioned my number one. That's indifference. Um, we, we talk about this song being a communal experience, much in the same way that kind of Alive has grown over the years. Mm-hmm. I think back to maybe the first time I've heard the song, which is 2003. Ben Harper was there. Yeah, yeah. He sang it with them. And for Eddie to share those lyrics with him it wasn't the first time he's done that but it's almost like hey guys it's okay to share these lyrics it's okay to share this this feeling you know if, if, if you were here for the first time and you didn't know if this song was okay to feel you know i got my buddy ben here he's gonna he's gonna feel it with me hmm. it's okay to feel this way and so everyone will come in and, and sing the lines you know i will hold the candle till it burns up my arm i will keep taking punches I mean, all these lines, how much difference does any of this make? Um, Swallowing poison till I grow immune, scream my lungs out till it fills the room. Again, one of those songs I feel like we've spoken about before, um, best album closers. And, you know, it's, it's such a powerful song with just having such a quiet, mellow vibe. There's just, all it is, is a bed for Eddie to kind of unleash his emotional toll. And I think I've said emotional exhale before about this song. Right. But especially after what you get, you get socked in the mouth a couple of times from from verses. And to end on this note, you slink back in your chair and like, all right, how much difference? Got to keep going, though. I'm exhausted now. All right. Let's move on to our lurk of the week. And this week's Lurk of the Week comes from Binaural and Parting Ways. Paul, Parting Ways. So I think our second song of Final we did Rival before. Um, this song closes the album. I believe we both picked it to close the album on our retrack listing or retracking of Binaural. What do you make of these lyrics? Um, you know, I mentioned nothing, man. I mentioned... Uh, indifference and, and and I think both songs serve as a, a wonderful precursor to to what 
parting ways is. I feel like parting ways, if it, it, you could make the argument that um, those three songs make up their own trilogy of, of a relationship that just tragically dissolves. You know, not everybody listening is, is an American citizen. But I think what I'm about to say is very relatable and probably applies to the majority of countries in, around the world. But divorce rates in America are, are up by 34% during this pandemic. Really? Yes, they are. And uh, 31% of couples admitted that lockdown has actually caused irreparable damage to their relationship. And, you know, I just, I sit here and I think how many times I've watched folks post videos and photos of, you know, <laughs> just the amazing, I mean, it's almost like it's a vacation for some folks, you know? Um, but sadly, uh, it hasn't been for a lot of others. And I think this particular song here is timely in, in a way that WMA was, is timely. And, and, and in both cases, they're timely for all the wrong reasons. And I, and I feel like this is a particular track that really speaks mostly because people are, are, are searching, man. They're, they're searching for answers and they're at their wits end right now. And relationships, relationships have been tested and it's really hard to figure out how to proceed. And, uh, there's something really, really tragic in this song. Um, but it's, it's epic in the way that it closes, you know, drifting away. There's something, uh, very epic in the way that it closes. And I say that because, you know, when you look at the lyrics here, the crisis there behind her eyes, there are curtains and they're closed to hide the flames remains. She knows their future is burning, but she can smile just the same, just this ability to put on a face and how many people do that and have been doing that for years, but especially now. And it gets to the point where it's like, what's it all for? You know, and I guess the real message here is, you know, don't go from a feeling if, if you recognize indifference building in a relationship to the point where it turns you into a nothing man, you will inevitably find yourself parting ways. And it really is just a, a an alienation trilogy. Uh, I liken it to uh, Antonioni's alienation trilogy. He was an Italian filmmaker in the, in the sixties, I believe. And uh, he had three, three great, films so uh, La Eclise, La Notte and uh, La Ventura uh, great but you should check them out actually in order but uh, to me these three songs just capture those three films it's literally those three films just personified musically and uh, I don't know man I mean this this song just really really resonates for me in, in that respect because it's it just captures what what these percentages are showing me are happening and I feel like nobody wants to talk about this we want to talk about uh infection rates and positivity rates and masks. And we want to talk about schools, but nobody ever wants to talk about the toll because the toll just completely throws a giant wrench into the media and the politics and, and all the stories that, that we just want to obsess over. But you know, this, what I'm talking about here, this is what people are living right now. And, and uh, it's just unfortunate that this is not more of a conversation. So I felt like uh, since we're having one, we might as well make it one. Yeah, I wonder at a certain point, um, and this isn't uh, restricted to COVID and no, of course a, a not, lockdown, but, but um, relationship issues like this are are they can be considered collateral damage as of life. Yeah, but it, but you could also look at it as life, mm -hmm. and so it just depends on which way you're looking at it. Because you know, if you're the type of person who is very much um, career driven or you're very much into uh, things that interest you more so than you focus on you, you basically if you're doing things at the expense of a relationship you're going to watch that thing burn to the ground and if you are wise enough to know this but an asshole enough not to care and just to put up with it because it's convenient 
or it's easier this way or um, financially I can't do without it. You know, there's any, and that could be in a positive way or a negative way. If, if you're trying to hold together a family, which in this case, in your, in your perspective, um, would obviously be the case for many people, you know, it's, it's better for, for a couple to stay together to keep finances sorted for, for, for themselves and for the children. Um, but it can also be in a negative way where it's like, well, if I divorce my husband or wife, they're going to get half of what I have and fuck that. So there, there's a number of ways to look at that. And, you know, with this song and talking about, you know, their future is burning and, and, and the flames. And I took remains as like, uh, not the verb, but the noun, the remains of a fire, right? Like the embers are barely burning and that the mm-hmm. fire inside isn't actually the negative thing. It's the, it's the positive. You want to have that burning inside you, but the, but, but the burning is going away. The flame is slowly being extinguished. And, and, and the curtains are the lies that you tell to avoid confronting the fact that you're losing the person or you're not putting up the effort or you're not, you're not giving the respect to the relationship that it deserves to keep it going. And they keep saying, everyone says relationships and marriages, especially our work. Well, <clears throat> if you don't do that, the fire's going to go out and we're all going to, you know, you're going to put up a, put up a lie and put up a wall and put up curtains to, uh, to mask it. But at a certain point, people are wise enough to see that the other person knows that, you know, that they know. And so with this song drifting, and it could be a positive thing. It could be a negative thing. You know, this is not obviously written about um, our particular situation right now with, with lockdown as, as you have ascribed the song, but it could be a positive thing where if people just kind of grow apart that, you know, finally you recognized it and it, it wasn't for lack of, of wanting um, it to end properly. People might be young and might not uh, know how to do it correctly. But if you're older, it could be a shitty way of doing things and the drifting apart could be negative. You know, you're, you're ripping the bandit off as opposed to um, letting it die gracefully. There's a, there's a weird way of doing that depending on how old you are in the context of things. But the point is with this song is again, another onion uh, type uh, lyrical content here. Whereas mm-hmm. he said on Bush Leader, onion skin plausibility. Yeah. Um, and the way that this song ends as we're about to hear in our, in our live cut is it's a bell ringing. It's the bell tolling for thee. it's the bell tolling for the relationship. And uh, well, let's hell fuck it. Let's just get right to it. All right, Paul, live card of the week. Where are we going? When are we going? November 6th, 2000. Key Arena, Seattle, Washington. What is 17,000 people, man, at the show. And it was, uh, it's an epic show. It's, it's a type of show that I think would be a tremendous follow-up if you wanted to, you know, go, go the, the home show release mm. live stream, right? I mean, this, this would be a, a fantastic follow-up to that. Just, uh, you know, it's 2020. Let's go back 20 years. Huh? Yeah, Key Arena. Let's do it. I'd love to see it. All right, November six, two thousand in Seattle.
So this is such a great version, not only because of the context of the show, it being the last show of that 2000 tour, the second night of two in the hometown. Uh, it was uh, the return of Alive. First time they played Alive since Ross Guild. So that was a five-month absence that they finally brought the the, show, the uh, song back. Three encores that ended the first. Yep. And they brought out a a duet, a violinist and a cellist to play along with them, which absolutely makes this song even better. Mm -hmm. uh, makes it more akin to the studio version. So I'm glad that you picked this because of that. Um, for the context, for the fact that they added those extra musicians, just in the same way that Just Breathe and The End were elevated when they had the string quartet in the Backspacer tour. So excellent choice, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I have to be honest that uh, the strings really make the difference here. Um, I really don't feel like the song is the same without them. And if you were there early enough, for whatever reason, and got to catch sound check, they did play with the string players. And I think that was, you know, the, the anticipation there was like, okay, let's get this right. You know, let, let's make sure we're ready to go with this. And they did, they, they nailed it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm not the guy that's, Hey, this is my cut. It's my favorite cut. It's gotta be the closest thing that resembles the album. But for me, I can't imagine this song played faithfully without strings. And unfortunately you didn't get strings on every show of the 2000 tour which you did on this one. And it really makes a big difference with this track. So for me, if you're looking for the best version of Parting Ways, you might as well look to what might be the best show of that tour, because it really is a tremendous show. Um, and, and it's the only version that, that, that I could find that really stands out where you get the string players to boot. You're not tipping track. your hand as far as our uh, best of the binaural tour, are you? Uh, no, well, maybe. No. <laughs> yes. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we're going to get there. Don't worry again. We're going to get there. Well, um, another fun one. Another, I think it's another long one, actually. And uh, we are going to... Our, our series, our tribute band series is coming, you guys. It's coming very thick and fast. And um, I can't wait for that to be out there for you to listen to. Some great interviews with some great bands. And uh, until we see you the next time, you've been listening to... A State of Love and Trust. Yeah.